0: Hi, everyone. We just wanted to add in a brief message at the start of this episode to address the incredibly important Black Lives Matter movement. We're in full support of the black and minority ethnic communities, and our hearts go out to anyone adversely impacted both at the moment and historically through systemic racism. As two white women with significant privileges, we know we'll never be able to fully comprehend and understand what you're going through. But we stand completely with you in your fight for racial equality and justice.
1: We realise that we've not done enough so far, and from this moment forwards, we're determined to change that. Be that through educating ourselves, holding those in power to account, and using this podcast as a vessel to platform the conversations we all need to be having. Please note this podcast was recorded prior to the senseless killing of George Floyd and COVID-19. One final note, we're here for anyone who is struggling at the moment. Our DMs are open and we're always here for a chat and an open conversation on how we can be better allies and support you. There's a link in the show notes where you can donate and find out more information. We'll be releasing a newsletter this Thursday with lots of resources for you to draw upon.
0: Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns,
1: the bi-weekly podcast covering all things Grad Life. Hosted by me, Becky Hills. And me, Sophie Scully.
0: Hello and welcome back to episode 19 of Grad Life by the Horns. Thank you so much for all of your support on our previous episode with Angelica. We're so glad that you loved it as much as we did. This week we're releasing another episode that we recorded pre-lockdown with Don Pennett, an editorial graduate at The Telegraph. Dom and I went to uni in Sheffield together and he was actually my editor at the now somewhat infamous Sheffield Tab, but I'm jumping ahead in Dom's career trajectory, so let's go back to the start. Dom studied for an undergraduate degree in international relations and politics at the uni of Sheffield before taking on a master's in journalism, also at Sheffield, alongside his blossoming career as a freelance journalist. Dom has interned at The Times, The Guardian and the Tab HQ. He's worked as a sub-editor at Rights Info and now he's secured a place on the coveted Telegraph editorial grad scheme. Dom is an exceptional journalist and writes about a real variety of issues, always seeking to provide a balanced, well-informed and intelligent take on the big news stories. Dom is a champion of mental health and is always seeking to shine a light on the trickier parts of life through his writing and on his social media. If you're not already following Dom on Twitter, pause this episode and go and follow him now because his tweets are absolutely iconic. I've put his username in the show notes. In this episode Dom provides an insight into how to get into journalism, what it's like to relocate for your job, comparison, the importance of trusted news and how to stand out in a saturated market. This episode is so interesting and informative and Dom is so generous and candid with his advice and perspectives on graduate life. I cannot wait for you to listen so without further ado let's get into the episode with the wonderful Dom Penner. Hello Dom. Hello how are you? Good, good. How are you feeling today?
2: I'm good. Thanks so much for inviting me on here. One of my no. favourite podcasts. Oh, we'd love to
0: hear that. So we begin every episode by asking you a couple of questions. The first of which is, what's gone wrong this week?
2: What's gone wrong? Well, one of my rather pretentious New Year's resolutions that I was never going to keep was go to the gym every week. That's gone wrong <laughs> this week and every week. And the whole trying to be a bit more healthy thing. Working within 100 yards of Victoria and Tortilla. Oh, God. I'm Ah. just going there most days trying to pay for the tube with my Tortilla card.
0: (laughs) We've all been there. Yeah, definitely.
1: I've done exactly the same, so I'm sure a lot of
0: listeners have as well. (laughs) And the next question is, what's going on for you? What's happening in your life at the moment?
2: Just work, podcasting right with second, and... Right now at this time of recording I'm on the sport desk which is really fun.
0: Oh nice. So
2: just making the best of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you were at some like an event this week, weren't you, for sport? I know and this is the one I show that I know absolutely nothing about sport. But what exactly was the event this week?
2: So this event was sixty years of the League Cup, which is one of the year on year football tournaments, the finals today actually. So oh, nice. Man City and Aston Villa are battling it out well we sit in big street and talk about life
0: but Great. yeah this
2: this was to commemorate 60 years of the League Cups uh, I never thought that my job would take me to Tower Bridge where I'd be drinking red wine with Emil Hesky and Chilmrat Phillips but oh, wow. every day every day is a different day that's um, awesome
1: so when you when you say just work you're really doing stuff like
0: that <laughs> <laughs> yeah most us just work is go to the office write a few emails go home <laughs>
2: I mean about some days it really does
0: vary
2: <laughs> no two days are the same.
0: I think a good
1: place to start Don, with you actually is just to talk about you went to Sheffield Uni I like did Becky and that's how you know each other yeah if you just talk about what you studied what you got up to at university for both your undergrad and your postgrad.
2: So for my undergrad I studied international relations and politics I've always had quite a strong interest in current affairs and looking back I think that Part of my politics choice was just a case of I knew I wanted to go to uni, get a degree, and it literally was what I was best at during A-levels. I did grow to really enjoy the politics side of things, fell into student journalism by accident, which how I got to know <laughs> Becky.
0: <and laughs> the good old
1: How comes by accident?
2: It took me until midway through second year to properly involve myself in the student journalism side of things. I wasn't really aware of how to get into that side of things, it wasn't something which was anywhere near the top of my priorities, especially in the first year where I just wanted to get in Sheffield and settle and sort of find my place and keep West Street Live in business. <laughs> but it was through one of my friends, Maz, who invited me to an open meeting at the start of second year, came up on my memories the other day that I'd still not replied to this invite. And then thankfully she invited me to one at the start of second semester in second year went down and found out how easy it was to write for the tab got into it that way and just found my feet quite naturally with it ended up features editor somehow for a grave admin error throughout third year and by that point of not really having loads of contact hours in third year a mix of dissertations strikes not having any contact hours in so towards the end of third year I realised that journalism was something I wanted to pursue long term, I was covering more serious stories and it just made a lot of sense to then go on and do my Masters in Journalism as well.
0: And how did you find that transition from going from an undergrad in politics to a Masters in Journalism and changing departments?
2: I feel like just the general step up between undergrad and Masters was very, very intense in a really rewarding way, a really challenging way, but it was literally 0 to 100 at times. It was a lot busier sort of doing nine to five days a lot of the time during my master's. And I think with politics, there's more scope to be a bit more ideological about things. Seminars will get very heated. And a lot of it was looking at what a lot of dead white men had said over the years. There was a whole unit on political philosophy in first year. Journalism, it was very much more about putting the theory into practice and actually getting out there and doing as much of it as possible.
1: What advice would you give to someone who is currently studying their undergrad and they want to do a master's in something quite different?
2: Absolutely go for it. I think that definitely at that point the journalism master's was the best decision I made. It's a difficult transition in some respects, but I was very lucky to have a very supportive, a very proficient journalism department. And by the time you get to a master's, you'll have people with all sorts of different backgrounds one of my friends did I think forensic sciences or something at his undergrad and he's gone on to be like one of BBC Sheffield's best journalists wow. so it really doesn't matter what's before it matters what's in front of you and what's head I'd absolutely encourage anyone thinking of changing not to be put off by the idea that you've got to have done a certain thing because in reality a lot of master's programs just take you on merit and your potential rather than mm-hmm. your experience.
0: Mm -hmm. and did you find that you had a lot of people saying wouldn't it be more beneficial to go out and get that hands-on experience be a freelancer do this this and this rather than do the masters
2: for sure and I think that with Sheffield being the best journalism department in the country that's not just me saying that that's a lot of newspapers a lot of these surveys saying that it was a no brainer to learn how to do it by the book at the best place possible a few people were like can't you just keep doing or whatever it might be but especially when so much freelancing is unpaid when so much freelancing is one job to the next and it's not got that structure I knew that even if I did go down the freelancing route long term which I considered doing at one point actually having that preparation and all the qualifications that the course brought me and needless to say the experiences and the social contacts the course brought me that'd be really beneficial sort of long term.
0: Mm, definitely and kind of on a day-to-day because a lot of people have a lot of questions about masters and we mm. haven't spoken to many people who have done them on here what did kind of a typical week doing a journalism masters look like well i'd love to know <laughs> this actually
2: so it started literally day in day out either starting at 8 or eight thirty or 9 a.m with an hour or an hour and a half on monday of tuesdays of shorthand which basically boils down to hieroglyphs it's very difficult to learn at first it took me until May to get my 100 words a minute the course started in September so oh God. <laughs> it was really quite strenuous that side of it but again great skills for court reporting it set me up really well for especially when I'm doing more court-based stuff and news the news side of things at the Telegraph over Damalan then in first semester there are a lot of introductory modules how to write news how to get stories stuff which I thought especially after doing the tab for a couple of years I thought I knew and the tab did put me at an, at an advantage. Yeah, I'm very grateful to the tab for getting me into that style of journalism but I realised there's so much that I didn't know. Then there was the law side things, ethics, lots of the NC2J just industry exams. There was a very rigorous structure to it but that did help because it got us all where we needed to be basically.
1: Now you're working in journalism When you talk to people, do you discover that a lot of them studied a master's or did they tend to jump straight into a job?
2: I think that there's so many different ways that people have got into it. Some people did master's in journalism, some people did master's in other things entirely, some people haven't done a master's. I feel that if you get the right experience, secondary to whatever course you're doing, I'm super grateful for my master's and for an incredible department and I know for a fact that I wouldn't have the skills or the confidence without my master's to be in the position I'm in. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people have got there through so many different routes and it's really nice that a lot of newspapers are really meritocratic, like mine, in that they're not looking for X, Y, Z from an academic point of view. They're looking for who's going to be the best journalist, who's got the right skills, characteristics and enthusiasm.
1: That's really good to know. I think a lot of people will take a lot of positivity from that, especially with journalism, because it is a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? It's very competitive. And because there's so many different departments in journalism, it's not just written, you have broadcast, you have radio, you have all sorts, don't you? I think people think there's only one avenue that you can go down and only one way that you can become qualified. But... Like you said, that's not the case, so I think a lot of people would take something
0: good from Yeah, definitely, because like I consider doing the same Masters at Sheffield having done the same degree, almost like I'm copying you, and, and then I... <laughs> the John Penner School of Journalism. And then actually I decided that doing the Masters wasn't for me, but then I've managed to do journalism in different ways, so I think it's interesting to hear that doing the Masters, you can do it, and you don't have to do the Masters, you can do it. Not that the industry is saturated with just Masters or just non-Masters students. Mm.
2: What is it about
1: written journalism in particular
2: that you love? I feel that, especially working for a newspaper in this day and age, so much of it is digital first. A lot of it will end up both in print and online. A lot of content that I've had published is online only for The Telegraph and Pride, that is a freelance. A lot of it just went online. But I find that with written words, it's a really good way of whatever form they appear in, whether it's in print, whether it's just digital it's a really good way of engaging people with the stories because then you can work the visuals around what's being written in terms of how you structure a story a lot of it lends itself to the written word facts literally being there in black and white and I think seeing things written down whatever platform that's on is always going to appeal to people and it's a really good way of informing people.
0: Mm -hmm. And telling stories is such a such a fundamental part of journalism i think Mm. a lot of people forget that and they think that it's all about personalizing you and that it's all about Mm. the writer who's writing the story but something i find that you do really well is you let other people breathe and you let them tell their stories what's been your favorite story that you've told either at the telegraph or at the tab or wherever else you've written
2: it has been the one at the telegraph i was lucky enough to speak a few weeks ago while i was working on lifestyle to a guy called adil amini And this was to do with a study which shows that 9 out of 10 people working behind the scenes of TV, film and cinema in the UK at the moment have a mental health problem, which is massively disproportionate to the national average. And it was really good to have a chat with Adil, speak to him about his own experience of mental health in the industry, his experience of depression, borderline personality disorder. And I think it is so important and... I'm proud to work for a company that really encourages putting people at the centre of the story, first-person human interest journalists, because I regard myself as a bit more of a messenger, and the last thing I would ever want to do is become the story, because I honestly don't believe that the grandstanding side of it, that this self-centred style of journalism, it might get some people blue ticks, it might make certain freelancers very popular, but for me, the story is always the most important thing.
0: Yeah, mm. such a good mindset to have isn't it definitely because I think especially in the time of like we talk about this a lot like in the time of influences and we kind of mm. mentioned this beforehand it does all become about like so I'm going to tell this story but what can I get out of it and yeah. like and I've been guilty of it in the past before I really got into journalism in like in this regard and doing this podcast I thought well I've got to make all these really really intelligent points and then I thought actually no when you listen to a person you let them tell their story mm. you get so much more out of it
2: mm exactly and when it's stuff like mental health in tv and film which i went into that subject quite new and i'm not better placed obviously to speak about that than someone who's spent the best part of their working life in tv and film i'm not best placed to talk about getting working class kids into oxbridge or a lot of various different topics where you really do like you say just have to let the person and the subject breathe and I do find it's really important especially from raising awareness and connecting the reader to the story to just try and remove yourself from that as much as possible and I'm lucky to be in an amazing newsroom full of people who do exactly that and we realise that the story is the most important thing over and above any personal ego.
1: Hmm. What kind of response did you get from that particular story?
2: I found that a lot of people were really surprised by the scale of the problem which I definitely was looking into it. I knew that Behind the scenes with this study that was about to come out, I knew that it wasn't going to be a very positive picture on the whole, but just the scale of how many people had witnessed harassment or bullying in the workplace in TV and film, the scale of people who'd struggled or had certain ideations, I feel like the response was really positive and that it drew attention to something a lot of people hadn't really thought about. And we've had a lot of really important conversations as a society lately about the mental health of people in front of the camera whether it's jeremy kyle love island we're finally starting to shine a light on that which is too late in itself but it still feels as though the production side of it and the people behind the scenes are still being overlooked and again it's a real honor to be working with the telegraph in that they are more than happy to look at things from different angles they're very happy to let me tell the stories that I feel need telling, obviously in addition to ones which are on the agenda of ones which are a bit more newsy. Yeah. Mm.
0: And is that something that's important to you having that kind of activist style to your journalism?
2: I try not to make it too activist in that I obviously want to affect positive change through my journalism. It's a difficult one As to whether a journalist can also be an activist, I will never, for example, put my own personal views into a story because I don't feel that the reader benefits from that. I don't feel I would benefit from that. I think that it's a case of just telling the story and then if it leads to activism, if it leads to positive change, great, but I don't feel that can be the be-all and end-all. It's important to stick to the trust and news side of things and sort of the facts and the first person as much as possible. And then letting the reader make their own mind up about that and giving them the choice of what they do after reading that story, sort of thing.
1: Yeah. What I would like to know as well is just to rewind a little bit at university, not only were you a part of the TAB, but you were also the Mental Health Society?
0: Yeah, Web well, and Publicity Officer at MHM.
1: Yeah, which is awesome. Do you think doing both of those as extracurricular things at university drove your passion behind writing about the people and making the people the centre of your journalism?
2: Absolutely. I think there's no value if I was just to write my personal opinions of what's going on in the world, because everyone does that every day on Twitter and Facebook anyway. and especially the work I did with mental health matters it made me a lot more attuned to the scale of a mental health crisis and I would say it's a crisis in our country it made me more concerned with people's stories both at the individual level which helps people to understand the scale of the problem at a wider level it did help to be around like-minded people and seeking to affect positive change there and I will always cover mental health in a very objective way in a way which like I said lets the reader decide rather than trying to preach at anyone about stuff like that but it is good to gradually see more awareness of it and I think in time we do need to move on beyond awareness to action properly being taken on this. Mm
0: -hmm, Definitely and how and if you're comfortable talking about this how has your mental health been since graduating and moving to London starting your job that sort of thing?
2: It's generally been good I think that because of the nature of my mental health, there's always going to be ups and downs. There's always going to be days where I feel especially more anxious or especially more low than other days. And that has happened arguably less so since moving to London, having an amazing job and having a day-to-day structure, which has really helped, especially in the week. The fact I'm lucky enough to already have quite a lot of friends down here. So I think my biggest fear was being isolated and that fear hasn't really come to pass most of the time. I feel like in the time between my finishing up my masters and then having four or five months start of a grad scheme that was a bit of a weirder time, a bit of a more isolated time at points and not really having a regular structure not actually going into work while I was freelancing.
1: It's interesting you talk about isolation actually because a common theme that we have with people we talk about is the theme of loneliness Mm -hmm. and the fear of loneliness after you graduate So do you think that having that structure and having that job to look forward to was the reason why your mental health has been good since you graduated?
2: I'd say so in the fact that as well, I've been lucky at work in terms of friends and family and a lot of them aren't physically close to me anymore. With Derby being quite a long way away from London, a lot of my best friends being scattered all over the country doing the amazing journalism and jobs that they're doing. I feel like having that support network's really helped in addition to the structure. But I've got an amazing job where I can wake up every morning and look forward to going to work, knowing it's going to be a slightly different day to yesterday, knowing that I'm working at what I see as the best newspaper going on a national basis. And it can be difficult, there are difficult days, and I feel like I struggled so much at times with my work-life balance during my master's, that's something I've had to make a really conscious effort to try and adjust to. And. Mm-hmm again, it's helped having an amazing employer, which is very understanding about mental health stuff.
0: Mm. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, and touching there on your grad job, do you want to explain to us what it's like being an editorial graduate at The Telegraph?
2: It's, again, in my opinion, obviously, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's a great newspaper with a great tradition of delivering trusted news to people built around the values of opportunity, freedom, and enjoyment as well. There's a real culture of enjoying what we do, making sure that the readers enjoy our product, which is great. In terms of what it's like being an editorial grad, we've gone through the training phase, we're currently on desk rotation, so I've done lifestyle. I'm currently on sport, got news and business to look forward to as well. And then as of next month, they're sending me on loan to the Liverpool Echo for three months, which is going to be really exciting. That is Um, exciting. I'm really looking forward to, from quite a selfish point of view, being back up north for a bit and just to really develop my skills. And it's fantastic that that partnership exists and that I'll have the opportunity to do local journalism for a bit sort of in the context of becoming a better national newspaper journalist
0: mm. and do you think it's important straight out of uni in that kind of early years of being a graduate mm. do you think it's important to get that wide-ranging kind of plethora of experiences moving yourself around and exposing yourself to different things
2: for sure and again that's where I've been so happy with the structure of the scheme in that I've done so little sports journalism before but it's an amazing desk it's a great opportunity that they're trusting me to go out and speak to Emil Heskey after three days on sport desk. (laughs) it's great that we're all getting the opportunity to try out different things and especially with the features side of it that's made me a lot more open to the idea of maybe going down a more features type route in future I've not thought too long term I'm just really keen to enjoy everything that's happening in the minute and I'm at the point of not having to make any big decisions about what I'm wanting to do after the scheme just yet but It's been really good, like you say, having that plethora of experience.
1: What advice could you give to people at university who are wanting to go onto a journalist graduate scheme? What things could you tell them to put in place and start practicing to get them ahead of the game?
2: I think first and foremost, be yourself. Even on an application form, they will be able to tell how honest you're being, how genuine you're being, and If you're not right for a newspaper or a newspaper isn't right for you, it's best to sort of realise that straight off the bat sort of thing. So I think being true to who you are, not letting your own principles be compromised in that sort of sense. I think obviously the more experienced people can get, the better, but that is so much easier said than done. The department at Sheffield was fantastic setting us up with a load of placements, but I realise it can be very hard to get a foot in the door. And there's resources like Journal Resources, which is a website and newsletter, which does so many great things, making people aware of what's out there in terms of opportunities. But it can be really difficult. And I think as well, not getting too disheartened if things don't go a particular way or it takes a while to get experience or it takes a while to get a particular job, especially when I was just freelancing before starting at The Telegraph. And one of my mates is working at The Guardian, one of my mates is working at BBC Sheffield, one of my mates is getting like a different. Real mixture. (laughs) Yeah. One of my mates is getting a different front page every day about the many goings on at the Grimsby Telegraph at that local newspaper level. And it can be so hard not to compare yourself to others, but I feel like with journalism, it's definitely a challenge rather than a competition. It shouldn't be a competitive thing in that personal sense.
0: Mm, And you do develop that resilience the more you expose yourself to it. Mm -hmm. Because I think initially you're like, I mean, I found this, I found that I was like, why am I not getting any jobs in journalism? Mm-hmm. Why are no editors taking my pictures? All this sort of thing. And you do become, especially when you're comparing yourself, oh, so easily done. Because you see your mates doing X, Y, and Z, writing for the Guardian, being at the BBC. And like, but why aren't I doing this? I'm good enough. But then it's the more you see it, and the mm-hmm. more you kind of expose yourself to it, and the more opportunities you open yourself up to, the more resilient you get with it. And then the less demoralising it becomes.
2: Exactly, and I think another really important thing is, myself included, that people will only share the high points of their journalism journey on stuff like social media. I'm lucky to be in a position now with an amazing job, but I wasn't in the February and March of my Masters, I wasn't putting on Twitter, yeah, on the floor in my bathroom, trying not to cry down the phone after failing shorthand first time around. It's a case of people very selectively put up the curation of what they're doing and realising that not every day in journalism especially at that training and masters level is going to be a good day and I was lucky to have an incredibly supportive course leader and mark I was lucky to have a very supportive department but it's easy to remember that there are going to be ups and downs and especially during that point where no one's got anything guaranteed And even longer term, not everyone is going to be able to have a good day all the time and that's just life, so it's a case of not comparing yourself to other people and realising that there's lots of different ways to excel at journalism. There's certain publications I wouldn't write for on principle, there's certain types of journalism that I wouldn't do either because it doesn't interest me or I don't think I'd be very good at. I can't see myself ever going down sort of a broadcast route at this point, despite being on this (laughs) podcast.
1: this might be the start yeah who who knows
2: this might light the fire I might (laughs) might find myself inquiring as to what the telegraphs podcast offerings are I wouldn't go down sort of a magazine route I don't think either but again it's appreciating that different people are good at different types of journalism and just respecting and appreciating what people are doing and I think often the best journalists are those who can be happy for other people but equally realise they're doing what they're doing I'm doing what I'm doing. It is so easy just day to day social media to compare yourself to others, but at the same time it's so important not to.
1: Yeah. Mm. It's really cool that you say that actually because it's so true. And I have a really good friend from university mm. who's he works at BBC and everything he puts on social media just looks so cool. Like he's mm. all over the country doing lots of different projects. And I had a catch-up with him the other week, and he said that he's had friends who have been upset to him because Mm. they only see the highs of his job. And he was like, you've got to remember that, like you said, I'm obviously not going to post pictures of me crying about this and failing at that and Mm. stuff, are you?
0: No, and to that point, I think... We always talk about posting a selfie on Instagram and the dopamine hit that you get from that. Mm. But no one talks about the fact that if you post a LinkedIn update or a Facebook status being like, I've just got this new job. And that gives you the same dopamine hit. So it's like, Mm. it's actually realizing that your relationship with social media is so dependent on that little hit. And being like, okay, people are only sharing the highs, but why are they only sharing Mm. the highs?
2: Why are people only sharing the highs? I feel like it is important that people do back themselves, that people are proud of what they achieve for obvious reasons and that they don't refrain from sharing the things. But again, it's a case of perspective. And that's a really good point, Becky, about the Facebook and LinkedIn side and how it might give you a more mature, professional type (laughs) of dopamine hit. But it's very much the same. You watch those triple figure likes and comments start piling up and that's a very good feeling at that time but equally it doesn't change the day-to-day it doesn't have an effect beyond that instant gratification really
1: Mm. what would you say your relationship is like with social media because if i may say you're quite big on twitter aren't you you're very (laughs) active on twitter what would you say your relationship with social media is like
2: i'd honestly put my head above the parapet and say that i don't have a particularly healthy relationship with social media I think Twitter can be great for a lot of what we've just discussed. It's a fantastic way to share stories, share other people's stories as well, reach out to people, connect, and it's great to see The Telegraph reaching people through all these amazing different platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. It's such an important part of how journalism works, and in that respect, and then through Messenger, Insta, keeping on top of what people are doing with their lives. That's fantastic, and I definitely do enjoy my use of twitter for certain things i enjoy being able to keep in touch with say relatives the other side of the world at the push of a button but i think there are so many downsides to social media and it's something i'm thinking a lot about at the minute that we just instinctively react to things and that's something which i'm trying to do a bit less i'm making a point of not getting dragged into any political arguments on social media because it's like shouting at a brick wall no one with these strong opinions to spend their days arguing on twitter or facebook they're not going to change their minds they're not going to change other people's minds they're just trying to convince themselves and other people that they're right and i think just as well social media normalizes a lot of behavior which isn't actually normal or healthy i think that with the whole caroline flack thing that's put into very stark perspective how quick people are to judge A lot of the first people to rightly eulogise Caroline are also the first people to jump on Joan Love Island and comment on someone's appearance, someone they don't know, comment on their looks. And then sort of at a more micro level as well, it's normalised this idea of being able to behave in ways to people that you almost certainly wouldn't and shouldn't off of social media. I mean we've all been there at both sides of the whole ghosting thing and it might give you a sense of satisfaction but equally what does that achieve other than making the other person think what have I done why am I not good enough and social media just becomes this accelerant for a lot of really unhealthy habits and I've definitely been guilty of certain stuff like that in the past. There's so many downsides to it and it's again not just what you see on people's instagrams posting once or twice a week the best bit of their week so it's important to take it with a pinch of salt and i'm definitely trying to be more mindful of my use of social media
0: and i think that's a really important point to recognize and i think we're really grateful for you opening up and saying that you haven't got a perfect relationship with Mm -hmm. social media because A lot of people, they will say, "Oh, it's not perfect, but I'm working on it," and or I used to be really bad. Now I'm great, and I don't look at my phone until eleven a.m. And I do it myself now. I now have a rule where I where I don't go on my phone until night. I go on my phone, but I don't go on any of my social media apps until nine. And I'm like, I am amazing. Look at me. I am like a beacon of positivity. But actually, it's saying sometimes. You're going to have a bit of a rubbish mm. time with it. Sometimes you will. The first thing you do, you wake up and you spend two hours scrolling through mm. Twitter. You're like, what have I done with my morning? <laughs> but I think it's really important to recognize that not everyone has got mm. a perfect relationship with social media. But as long as you're cognizant of it, as you are, mm. I think that's really, really valuable to people to hear. And I think, actually, the more open we are about it and mm. the more transparent we are about the fact that no one's really got a perfect relationship with social media, because it is such a new thing, the mm. better we will all become.
2: Exactly, and literally any tips on not going on my phone before 9am they very, very welcome
0: <laughs> Airplane <laughs> mode honestly it's revolutionised really my life so I'm, I'm gonna go off on a wanky tangent here but um, but no basically I my therapist, my therapist said to me she was like Try, like minimise your phone usage you're obsessed but just slow it down I was like okay season we'll get this done so I now when I wake up first thing I don't have my phone on airplane mode overnight because I'm so scared that like there's going to be an emergency call or like one of my cats died or something I message you yeah <laughs> <laughs> what well, cause disaster um, but as soon as I wake up so my alarm goes off at like half six I'm like oh no and I just switch it onto airplane mode so I can go on my phone and I can play my music play a podcast listen to myself speaking or whatever <laughs> but then I don't get all the notifications coming through I can't read everything else that's like my my big tip mm. put it on airplane mode it's that's such a good
1: idea because I, I actually want to say that I have a good relationship with social media but I don't think I do I don't have a very good relationship with my phone I'm, mm. I'm known in my friends, and Becky will probably agree that I'm the person that no one would ever put me down as an emergency contact because I'm just never on my phone.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think it's just that awareness, like mm. you said, and I think you put it so perfectly, and thank you so much for sharing that.
2: Thank you, and I think that it goes to the point that a lot of people don't have a healthy or perfect relationship, but that's okay. I know that I spend too much time on my phone, I know that I don't always use it in the most constructive way. I know that I can go on Instagram and suddenly I've spent half an hour just scrolling, not actually doing anything, just looking through people's lives and that breeds that natural sense of why aren't I on a couple's holiday, other than my single status, (laughs) obviously, but why aren't I doing this, why aren't I having this amazing time when everyone else is? And again it's important just to remember that it's a highlights reel. Mm,
0: take a step back from it and be like, this is a magazine of people's lives. Literally. It's not the highs and lows. Get a finster. Get on that finster. <laughs> yeah. That's,
1: um I saw something somewhere because obviously like um Snapchat it's, it's not used as much as it used mm. to be, is it? Mm. But they say that Instagram is what people want you to see, Snapchat is behind the scenes and Twitter is the everyday or thing. That was, that was yeah, play. it's like
0: people say on Twitter they're like, Here's my Instagram self, here's my Twitter self. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's so true though, isn't
0: mm. it? In the current landscape, how
1: would you say social media and journalism intertwines?
2: I think, again, there's a lot of positives and negatives. I think it's an amazing way to be able to reach so many people with the really positive journalism that The Telegraph's doing. Like on Snapchat, we reach so many people who we wouldn't reach otherwise. On Facebook and Twitter, it's great to be able to get those conversations going about all these important issues. So I think as a means of distributing trusted news, it's fantastic. Equally, there's the flip side of, especially platforms like Twitter, you get a lot of journalists. And again, I've been guilty of it before being at the Telegraph, Like especially when I was at the tab. A lot of journalists making it like, oh, I've gone out and got this story. I've gone out and done this, this, and this. And it naturally centers the person at times on social media rather than the actual story. I think just the side with trolling, I know a lot of my friends have got quite a lot of abuse for some of their journalism at both local and national papers, which is, I just honestly don't get why people act like that towards people who are just trying to do their jobs, live their lives. So I think, again, there's a massive positive and negative side to it. I'm quite glad that journalism on the whole is gradually moving beyond the clickbait economy, Mm -hmm. especially what we do at The Telegraph. It is about trusted news. It's about making sure that we keep people's attention and that we do want people, obviously, to click on the stories, but we want to inform, we want to entertain. I feel like there are still sites which do the opposite of that. Like I think there's certain publications which don't necessarily do themselves or the image of journalism any favours on social media.
0: Talking about social media from a positive level, how do you use social media to find stories?
2: Tweet deck. Especially during my masters was just a godsend. You can create curated lists of users. I feel as well, just seeing what people are tweeting about, what people are searching for, what's trending on a social media platform can be a really good way. And especially if there's something everyone's talking about, it's obviously then important to move that conversation on, to educate people about it and to tell the story from a different angle
1: journalism is jumping on the trends and what's big and Mm. because you're informing people of what's going on obviously but especially at our age there's a lot of people who have blogs and trying to get into the journalism landscape by doing all this stuff and you know obviously Becky and I have a podcast so you can count that as well but in that sense how can you stand out from the crowd when you're writing stuff that a lot of other people are talking about?
2: That's the question every newspaper brand is rightly increasingly having to answer. And for me, it just comes down to the quality of journalism and trying to think about things in different ways, people's first-person experiences. So when everyone was talking about Meghan and Harry, for example, Camilla Tomney, who's one of our associate editors, did a fantastic job of drilling down using her personal contacts and connections there to bring people aside the story that they wouldn't have otherwise read. I feel like a lot of our columnists are really fantastic at bringing their own perspectives and their own personal views to a story. So Madeleine Grant did a fantastic piece on what it's like going to church as an atheist and she's just found that sense of community. And millions of people still going to church every Sunday, but that's a completely new and positive angle on that issue. Hmm. So it's just a case of newsrooms mobilising their talent, mobilising their resources and... I feel like if the writing's good enough, if the idea's is original enough, which increasingly it has to be, that will naturally get a very positive reaction from people.
1: Mm, very interesting. If you don't mind showing, actually, because I'd love to hear about this, mm. what would you say is the biggest pro and the biggest con to working in journalism?
2: I feel like the biggest con at times would be It's more me personally than anything else, but I find it really hard to switch off anyway, just in general. And I'm sort of making a point of following the news a bit less when I'm not at work. So at the weekend, for example, I will just make that concentrated effort to switch off because when you're working in journalism, it can be very hard to think of things other than journalism, other than everything that's going on. I think the biggest pro is being able to work in the most exciting industry going it's being able to work with an abundance of incredibly talented people and educate people on stuff they don't know, let people know about stuff that's happening that they didn't know about. Yeah, it's just a really positive force for good in society and it's great to be able to play a small part in letting people know what's going on, bringing new perspectives to things.
0: Amazing, and I'd love to go back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, which was the your move down to London. Yeah. How have you found moving from Derby and Sheffield to moving to kind of the hub of everything?
2: It has taken me so long to get used to the idea of paying upwards of £5 pound for a pint. <laughs> I think that's been the most instant shock. That's cheap, I think, <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, I went for four pints of a colleague the other week, checked my bank statement the next day. 24.60. Jeez. Oh, yeah, so it definitely has been a shock with the cost of living, with... Just how generally busy everything is as well, which I have got used to, but definitely compared to Sheffield, which you can walk 30 minutes from a station and you can get basically anywhere. I feel like it's a big change. It's a far busier culture. It's a more switched on culture down in London, and especially compared to Derby, there's a lot more happening, both arguably for better and for worse in London. But... I feel like I've got there, I'm settled, it's quite nice. But if you miss a train, you have another train coming on its way in three minutes rather than two rail replacement buses and a change (laughs) at Doncaster or whatever it might be.
1: So I bet you're looking forward to going out to Liverpool then because you get that kind of northern feel back again.
2: (laughs) Yes, for sure. It will be really good to be in Liverpool at what's going to be such an exciting time for Liverpool as a city, the Premier League, hopefully coming back to Liverpool after all these years. After yesterday's 3 0 loss to Watford, I'm less sure that's going to happen. Oh, I, yeah. I don't want to be a bad omen. I don't want to rock pit Liverpool and suddenly get Sergio Aguero sealing up the tide for City again. <laughs> Headline
0: but, in the Telegraph Don Pella <laughs> <of> ruins Liverpool.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll, no I'll try I'll my best obviously. not to. <laughs> don't want to make myself a story bear.
1: yeah, I know it's difficult to ask, obviously, because you're going through so many different rotations within journalism. But where would you like to see yourself in, in 10 years?
2: I feel like for the time being especially, I'd have every confidence that I will be at the Telegraph. It's an amazing place to work. It's very liberating place to work where they give me a lot of trust. They give me a lot of resource to write about what I'd like to write about, do what I'd like to do. So it'd be really good to hold some form of position still at the Telegraph 10 years down the line. As to what I'll be doing then... I'm honestly not sure because features has definitely been a bit of a curveball working on that more lifestyle thing for the first time in a meaningful sense because so much of my master's was news driven. I just really got into the habit of appreciating the news side of it. But I feel like there really is something to telling people's stories in a longer form, a more considered form, where you've got the luxury of a few days to write a story rather than when something breaks, you've got to be first to cover it.
0: Hmm. And what are you working on at the moment? Can you tell us anything about stories you're researching for?
2: At the moment it literally is just the day-to-day so uh, I feel that with sport a lot of the time on the desk is obviously going to be focusing on stuff like the coronavirus in the next couple of weeks before the events being cancelled. A lot of it is just depending on what's going on in the world of sports, so, the Six Nations, there's obviously going to be a lot of League cup Aftermath tomorrow. There's a lot of really positive different stuff and In terms of my own big ideas, I'm not yet at the point where I'm planning anything too far in advance. But again, that's the beauty of it, the changeable nature of no two days being the same.
0: Mm, And to that point, linking it back to kind of life after graduation... Do you like the fact that you're able to kind of live in the moment, as and when things come up, kind of stick in with the cycle of the news? Do you think that's important? Because I think a lot of graduates they get so caught up in thinking about what am I gonna do in ten years' time? Is that something that you kind of value now that you're in that job?
2: Yeah, for sure, and I don't feel like there's any big pressure, especially at this point, to think too far into the future. It's always good to have one eye on my personal ambitions on stuff I'd personally want to achieve further down the line, but I think with how fast my life's changed in the last year or two, I never expected a role like this. I never expected maybe to be living in London so soon, working at a national. And it's all stuff I'm just really grateful for. So it's a case of, I had no idea my life was going to be like this two years ago. I've got no idea, to be honest, what my life's going to be like in two years' time in so many respects. So it is nice to be able to just appreciate and enjoy what I'm doing at the minute while trying to keep one eye on the future when i can
1: yeah it's good you say that because i love asking people where they see themselves being in 10 years time Mm. but i also do kind of catch myself because we need to kind of stop worrying about where we're going Mm. and appreciate what we're doing at the time in this moment
2: exactly it does come back to the whole living in the moment thing and you can't go into a career like journalism without some idea of where you'd like to end up, what you'd like to end up doing. There's just so much to appreciate in the here and now, and especially on these rotations where I'm literally doing something different every couple of weeks on a scheme. And I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by so many different talented sub-teams and desks of journalists. So it's just what I can learn day to day, week to week and especially when I'm in Liverpool it'll just be really good to focus on a different story or two every day there rather than thinking too far ahead and overwhelming myself about the large picture of what I might be doing in five ten years time.
0: Yeah and I think that links in quite nicely to the final question we ask is that Dom how are you going to continue to grad life by Uh, the horns?
2: (laughs) I genuinely just want to take as many opportunities as I can. It's a genuine gift to be able to be at the Telegraph. It's a genuine gift to be able, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when I'm eating my body weight in tortilla every week. (laughs) It's a gift to be down here in London and having all these opportunities, so just taking every opportunity that comes up. I'd like to travel a lot more. I'd like to get some new experiences in once I'm feeling even more settled and just try and make the best of every day, as pretentious as that sounds.
0: No, that's amazing. Brilliant. Thank Thank you you so so much. Thanks so much
2: for having me. I've
0: really
1: enjoyed us. Good. You've enjoyed it too. What a lovely, lovely conversation we had with Dom. And we really, really hope you enjoyed listening to what he had to say because we definitely did. I loved meeting him and I've stayed in contact with him since. He's such a brilliant person brought himself fully, was fully present at the interview and we recorded this before lockdown. It was such a lovely Sunday and it was just brilliant. We were so happy to open up and chat about things and we want to thank Dom for being so open and giving such great insight into the world of journalism. I personally know so many people who are trying to navigate the world of journalism one way or the other. I was even one of those people at one point as well. What I particularly love talking about with Dom is not just what you can expect with journalism, but also how to prepare yourself and how social media intertwines with the industry. And at the point, social media was quite a raw topic because it was only a couple of months after Caroline Flack had committed suicide, sadly. So all of that conversation and all of that controversy was swirling around in the media. And I think, He passes on a really good message about how social media is a really good way to communicate and to be resourceful if you're looking for journalism content and making sure you relate to people and bringing out people in your work as a journalist, but also how it has its bad sides and how there are so many reactive people on social media. So whenever you see something that upsets you, especially in the graduate landscape, and you start comparing yourself and you start feeling low and down just remember that we always always see the end product on social media most of the time and just try and be mindful of that because it'll really help you stop comparing and start really focusing about what you want what works for you and to not worry about what other people are doing because that is the main thing he also talked about doing a master's as well and he basically said if you want to do a master's just go for it and i think a lot of people need to hear that as well because it's such a struggle you never know if you should just do a masters you need to get into work or if you should go traveling so just go with your gut and go with what feels right for you Since we spoke to Dom, we have stayed in contact with him. Obviously, why would you not? He's an absolutely brilliant person. Not only that, he participated in our grad takeover at the end of season two, How to Grad Life by the Horns in the World Today, where we heard from lots of different graduates about how they're navigating life during a pandemic and what they're doing to stay sane, pretty much. And Dom opens up about how he's relocated back to Derby working from home so we highly recommend you give that a listen as well if you haven't already hopefully you will be able to resonate one way or the other as well to bring that all to a close Please follow us on Instagram at Horns and on Twitter at gradlifebth. Let us know what you thought about the episode. We love hearing feedback and we're open to it all the time as well. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, give us a review. We would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. And we will be back in two weeks time. Bye. <laughs>